Exodus chapter 7, verse 8. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning, as he is going out to the water, Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him, and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking the water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood, and there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded, In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank, so that the Egyptians could not drink the water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt, but the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house. And he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Uh, Please do take a seat. That was a great prayer uh, with which to open up the Bible. As we dive back into this uh, great rescue series we're doing from the book of Exodus. Speak, O Lord, till your church is built. So let me ask you, church. Are you ready to hear God speak? Are you hungry and expectant this morning to hear what he has to say to you? Or does the thought of God speaking to you make you feel a little bit anxious? Uh, Worried about what he might put his finger on in your life that you might not want to change? When God speaks, uh, when we open up the Bible, do, do you feel a sense of opening your arms wide to to want to embrace what he has to say to you? Or are you desperately trying to kind of wrestle with him to hang on to your will rather than take on board his? Don't know if you followed the Olympics um, when uh, it was in London uh, in 2012. Um, I I got Olympic fever, you know, well and truly and ended up watching all kinds of sports that I'd never previously had an interest in before. Uh, not least of all, dressage, all things. I don't know if you're an expert in dressage. I certainly uh, am not, but um, 
to the untrained eye, it really looked to me as if um, uh, the aim of the game is to get horses to uh, walk sideways, dance sideways, um, uh, put to a medley of Phil Collins' hits. Actually, if, you, if you've never seen it, um, actually, let's watch a little clip. I could just watch that all day. I find it, I find it mes- mesmerizing, really. Um, and, and apologies to you if you're a true equestrian. Um, uh, but um, I, as I say, I'm no expert. But uh, the other thing I get when I watch something like that is just, just finding it a bit surreal, actually. You just, here you've got these beautiful, majestic, powerful beasts. Um, and you're trying to make them mince around like fairies to the black-eyed peas, i got a feeling. I mean, it is a bit bizarre. And folks, I want to say, as we come to one of the most famous bits of the Bible this morning, I think what we're going to see is that this is a bit how, God, uh, how Pharaoh tries to treat God. Bear with me a minute on that. Because uh, it's a few weeks since we were last in Exodus, as Ben walked us through chapters 5 and 6, and we saw that God's people crying out to him in slavery um, in Egypt, under a massive oppression from Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And God heard their cries and sent Moses and Aaron along to tell Pharaoh to let his people go. And Pharaoh's response was, who else God? I'm not going to let the Israelites go. And so over the next five chapters, God answers Pharaoh's question in quite staggering style by sending 10 air-shattering plagues on Egypt that make it perfectly clear exactly who he is. And through it all, Pharaoh doesn't try to get God to dance to the black-eyed peas. But incredibly, he does try to control and manipulate him as if he could get a grip on the all-powerful, majestic God of all heaven and earth. But God is not a horse or a pony that we could control him by bit or bridle. And if we're tempted to think that we can in our lives, to think that we can ignore his words and and keep him at arm's length, to take on him and win, basically, then like Pharaoh, we are in for a massive shock. Before we get carried away thinking, well, this is exactly what's wrong with God. In fact, this is exactly what's wrong with God in the Old Testament in particular. He's always just throwing his weight around like this. Please note that this isn't where God starts. As firstly, God speaks subtly. He speaks gently. Check out Exodus 7, verse 1, will you? And the Lord said to Moses, See, I've made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I commanded you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of this land. So God does want the Egyptians to know who's boss of all the world. But he doesn't go in throwing his weight around, firing a truckload of plagues on them straight away. No, God's not malicious. He would rather folks listen to reason than reprimand. And so he has a gentle word. I try to do this uh, with my kids. If they disobey my instructions, I don't march straight in and go, Jamie, how dare you? Now I'm going to have to kill you. Mother, fetch the Fetch the axe. No, 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 we have a gentle word first. And then we get the axe. No, 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 sorry, sorry, let let me be clear. We never use an axe. Let me me say this publicly. We never use an axe um, on our children. Um, You'll be pleased to hear. But before we go through our arsenal of of more serious disciplinary measures, we always try and have a gentle word first. And that's what God does here. 
he sends Moses and Aaron back to Pharaoh with these instructions in chapter 7, verse 8. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Merah says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh that it may become a serpent. So Aaron throws down his staff and it becomes a snake. And, and I, I wonder if you can just imagine the Egyptian courtiers you know, kind of gasping and, and surprised. This snake takes off through the room. But Pharaoh's not impressed. Verse 11. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers. And they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. Now these sorcerers, they're, they're not magicians like the ones you see on TV or, or, or John Archer, if you were here back in October, um, uh, for, for him who uh, can, can do great illusions and clever tricks. No, they have real demonic power at their command. That's what's going on here. And they use it, and, and perhaps as they do, they laugh at Moses and Aaron. <laughs> it's the old snake to, uh, stick to snake trick. <laughs> oh, Moses, really? Is that all you've got? You're going to have to try harder than that. Well, the laughter would soon die down in verse 12. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. The demons must submit to God's power. They cannot overcome him. But Pharaoh, he will not submit. Verse 13, still Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them. So having not listened to the gentle warning, now, Secondly, God speaks in judgment through the plagues. And as he does so, we must see that each one is a means of Pharaoh knowing that the Lord is the only Lord. And we mustn't try and front up to him. In Exodus 12, verse 12, God says, On all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. You see, these plagues, they are a battle of the gods. And just like the Egyptian sorcerer's staffs, the false gods of Egypt will be swallowed up as each one of these plagues targets a different Egyptian god. So the first plague in Exodus 7 verse 17, the plague of blood targeted Hepi, the god of the Nile. Egypt um, without the Nile is basically a desert. You take the Nile away and Egypt dies. So they worship the Nile for its life-giving properties. But Moses and Aaron go out to the Nile and they raise the staff and they strike the water and it is a fitting judgment. As the Nile, which was made bloody with the death of the Hebrew babies back in Exodus chapter 1, Israelite babies were thrown into the Nile by the Egyptians and now the Nile is a river of blood. And so it goes on. Each plague shows up how powerless the gods of Egypt, uh, the gods the Egyptians worshipped are. The plague of frogs takes down Hect, the frog-headed goddess of fertility. It's the same with the gnats and the flies and the, the livestock, uh, the, the boils, uh, the hail and the locusts. All show the Egyptian gods of cattle and health and crops to be absolutely useless all the way down to the plague of darkness which targeted the god Ra the god of public schoolboys, of course uh, no 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 just kidding uh, he was the sun god 
But the message from all these plagues is there in Exodus 9, verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time, I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now, I could have put my hand, put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. You see, these early plagues are in some degree a mercy. They are warning shots across the bows. They are partial judgments. They are not final. As God is holding back his hand, saying, repent, repent. Please turn back to me before it is too late. And I sometimes wonder if some of the hardships that we go through might be sent by the Lord as a wake-up call for us too. If we, like Pharaoh, are in danger of drifting through life, thinking, who is the Lord? Why do I need him? I've got a great job and a lovely house and good health. Life's, life's great. Then it may be possible that God in his loving mercy derails our self-sufficiency for a while to bring us back to him. Now, not all hardship is a, is a warning shot from God. I, I must say that. But some may be. So the question then is, if it is, will we listen? I heard in a radio interview a while back, a, a man who'd come back from the brink of death from cancer. He'd been through prolonged treatment, surgery, uh, radiotherapy, chemotherapy. And his last words in this interview were these. Yes, I nearly didn't make it at all. For a while there, I really thought my days were numbered. But now I've had chemotherapy. I feel immortal again. Folks, we are not good listeners, are we? C.S. Lewis, the author of the Narnia books, you know, like The uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, he wrote this. Pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience. But he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So will Pharaoh and the Egyptians listen as this megaphone of ecological disaster is unleashed on Egypt? Will they turn back? Well, sadly, Pharaoh's response is pretty clear, isn't it? As thirdly, Pharaoh hardens his heart to God. We see this all the way through uh, the plague. So Exodus 7 verse 13, still Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them. Exodus 7, verse 22, so Pharaoh's heart remained hardened. Then again in Exodus 8, verse 15, and Exodus 8, verse 19, even when Pharaoh's own magicians are saying to him after the plague of gnats, this is the finger of God. You've got to listen to this. What do we read? But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them. It's like a broken record. Exodus 8, verse 32. Exodus 9, verse 7. Exodus 9, verse 35. God sends plague after plague as warning shots across the bows of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. But seven times Pharaoh hardens his heart. 
until we get to Exodus 10, where Pharaoh's officials, they try, they try and step in saying, do you not realize Egypt is ruined? But there we read these chilling words in verse 27. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take care never to see my face again, for on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. See, there comes a point when if we keep on rejecting God and his mercy, keep on trying to hold him at arm's length, he will respect that decision. He will say, all right, all right, if that's what you want, that's what I will give you. God never tries to take us by force. You see, our hearts are like clay. Slippery (laughs) when wet. And so soft and malleable. So flexible. And you can make anything with clay, can't you? You can um, make a pot or a star or a cat or a a life-size model of Rafa Benitez. Okay, okay, maybe that's a little bit um, too much, uh, certainly with that amount uh, of clay, even though Rafa is an absolute legend. But clay is soft and easy to change shape. But then you bake it in the oven or you you leave it out in the sun to dry and, and what happens? It hardens. Which is, um, and, and then it's, it's kind of solid as a rock, which incidentally is exactly what it looks like no matter what you've made. Or at least that's my experience because I'm just so rubbish at pottery. But you get the point. Your heart is like that. You start off all soft and flexible. God is the great potter. And with his loving hands, he seeks to mold and shape our hearts into something beautiful, something worthy of his name. And if we respond in repentance of faith and say, yes, Father, do your will in me. I trust you. He'll make something incredible out of your life. But if we reject him, if we put him off, if we close our ears to his life-giving word, then sooner or later, then he will say, okay, have it your way. And you will find your heart baked as hard as stone. Before I took on this job, I worked with teenagers and students. And for many years, I, I talked with them about Christianity. And, and often they would say to me, uh, yeah, 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 I, I'll think about it later. <laughs> or they'd say, I've got too much going on in my life right now. I, I'll get back, I'll get, get on, on with it when I'm older. <laughs> but later never comes. There's always something, isn't there? Some reason to put it off. Something that seems more important to us than God and taking his word seriously. And so it shouldn't come to any surprise to us that when I was speaking to a doctor friend of mine a few years back um, who uh, uh, was uh, in palliative care, essentially caring for people um, who were dying, and I asked him how many uh, brilliant opportunities he got to share the message of, of Christ with them. He replied, hardly ever. Actually, I, was, uh, I wasn't, <laughs> yeah, I didn't find that unsurprising. In fact, I was so surprised that I actually just blurted out to him. So, hold on, how many deathbed conversions do you see? I was imagining all these old people kind of reaching out to tug on his doctor's 
um, a coat um, whispering, get me a priest. But he said, never. When people spend their whole lives ignoring God and what he made them for, by the time they get to their dying days, all too often, they've lost hope. They're hardened to him and they've forgotten all about him. Which is why the Bible keeps saying, as we heard in that reading from Hebrews 3 earlier on, today, when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. As tomorrow may be too late. God never says, I'll tell you what, I'll save you tomorrow. No, he says, I will save you today. So when we find that God is speaking to us, challenging us, he's, he's pricking our conscience over an issue, now is the time to act. Don't delay. Act today, not tomorrow. Repent, don't let it drift. Whatever God is speaking to you about or has been speaking to you about over the last few weeks, respond to it as soon as you possibly can while you're still soft and changeable. And for those of us who think that we're absolutely in no danger of hardening our hearts to God, let me finish by showing you two phrases that Pharaoh uses from Exodus chapter 8, which make it look like he's actually on the right track. But underneath them, it shows that his heart is actually cold towards the Lord. First is in Exodus 8, verse 8. As after the second play, Pharaoh summons Moses and Aaron and says, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice the Lord. Now that sounds promising, doesn't it? Pharaoh is asking for prayer. But he's one of those people who only prays in a crisis. You know how it goes when we come across something that we can't handle by ourselves. We not only pray, we start to make all kinds of vain promises to God. Dear God, listen, if you get me out of this mess, I'll start reading my Bible more. I'll start praying more. I'll start listening in church for once. I'll stop looking at porn. I'll start giving money to the church. I'll help little old ladies across the road. I'll change. If only you sort this out. Please sort this out. Amen. But afterwards, when the panic's over, we don't change. We put it off again and again and again. We pray, but it's only a flirtation. As we then find it too inconvenient, too humbling to repent and change. Because we're only trying to get God to dance to our tune like a horse in a dressage paddock. And then the second phrase is in Exodus 8, verse 28. As after the fourth plague, Pharaoh says, I will let you go to offer sacrifice to the Lord your God in the desert, but you must not go far. Don't go far. I mean, don't go anywhere where I can't keep my eye on you. <laughs> I reserve the right to change my right mind after all. Don't go far. Even a child of 10 could see through that, couldn't they? As he laid down his conditions before the Lord for his obedience. Do you ever do that? Do you say, listen, I'll follow you, Lord, but, but only if you give me a girlfriend or a boyfriend, a, a husband or a wife, babies, a satisfying job, a lovely home, enough money, whatever it is. I will obey you if you don't ask me to do this or that or the next thing. If you make life comfortable for me. Pharaoh said that kind of thing, repeatedly. You see, it doesn't matter that Pharaoh believed in God. The Bible tells us that even the demons believe in God. James chapter 2, verse 19. 
But the difference between a Christian trusting God and a non-Christian is not belief in him. It is trusting him with everything we've got, everything he's given us. Trust him enough to submit to his word and obey him, even when we don't quite see what he's doing. And confessing our inability to do that obeying without his son, Jesus, and his Holy Spirit working us. So I think that's what we need to do right now, don't we? We need to turn to the Lord in prayer and pour out our hearts in repentance and faith in him, in humble submission and trust. Let's do that right now as, uh, as I close. Let's pray.